The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Well, ever since I was a little bitty boy just listening to my heroes sing, well, I knew one day if I could find a way, man, I'd be doing the same damn thing. Well, dreams come true, and I know they do, and I can feel the music down in my soul. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. Here at the podcast, the voice of the voiceless, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios, our entitled intern, Provolone, is man in the production elements of the podcast. Coming up here on today's program, Josh Swanson with Vogel Law will be joining the program to talk about the Wilkinson versus the state of North Dakota case. This is better than one of those CSI, murder mystery, law and order type things. I ta- I'm going to talk about that. I do talk about that with Josh Swanson all the time about, God, I just love having attorneys, interviewing attorneys because they have such interesting cases. And this is one of them, folks. The state of North Dakota came in and decided to grab some minerals that families have owned for generations. But because it's under a dam, the state says they own it. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, when they built the dam back in the 50s, said the people own it. But now the people of today say that doesn't matter. We want the minerals. It's a kerfuffle. It is a kerfuffle, let me tell you. So we're going to interview Josh Swanson a little bit later about that. And i got to ask him a couple questions about what's going on with uh, this this whole mineral and land. And it just seems like there's almost like a money grab going on by the state of North Dakota when it comes to, really, the citizens' minerals. And this is a topic that can get a little bit heated at times. That's why I like to talk to attorneys because they generally, hey, if they say it, they know what they're doing. Coming up a little late in the program as well, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, is going to share some new uh, projects with us. But at the same time, he talks about the lawsuits and the protesters and the rise of environmentalism where that's the new state of energy now. So William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, will be on the tail end of the program with our daily update, our daily radio update here on our podcast. Let me say that one more time. Our daily radio update here on the podcast. Because, you know, we've got interviews that are so good. Radio stations, they, they, they listen to them all the time and run them. And, geez, even news stations use them from time to time. The BBC, remember, we've been on the BBC provolone. So, geez, all kinds of big things. What else do we have going on today here? Headlines coming up in a few moments. Headlines. And then our sponsor today, Trunkline. We want to make sure we give a big thank you to Trunkline our sponsor here at The Crude Life Today. We have daily sponsors here on the podcast. And Trunkline is today's sponsor, and they are a one-stop shop for oil field materials, equipment, and merchandise. Search, compare, and purchase products from vendors all across the industry at trunkline.com. That's trunkline.com. Also, the featured event here today is actually, it's more of a news story, the 2020 NCAA tournament games to be played without fans in attendance due to the threat of coronaviruses. So what they're talking about is they've announced that these uh, big five power conferences, the championship games for March Madness, they're not going to have them. And they're even talking about the NCAA tournament to be played without fans in attendance because of the coronavirus. So this is some serious news, folks. 
Now, I'm not talking about the coronavirus being serious news. I'm talking about what this does for economies. Okay, when you have a major event happening, okay, I'll do something that I'm somewhat familiar with because I, I, I recently read an article on the impact of WrestleMania. Cities bid on WrestleMania much like the Olympics, much like the Super Bowl. In fact, in some areas, WrestleMania does or does more for an economy around the region than what a Super Bowl does. And they're talking about having to cancel that in Tampa this year. So when you think of that event and you think of March Madness in Atlanta or all the regional tournaments that flock in, people from all over flock in, you're talking about a lot of economic activity that's going away. Uh, you're talking about a lot of parents that are not going to be going to work that are nurses. You're talking about a lot of kids that are not going to get fed because they're not going to school. So th this is a real ripple effect here, folks. So I'm not trying to discount it and say that the coronavirus is not real. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't be prepared. You shouldn't be concerned. But what I'm saying is that right now is the time for real leadership because when you're canceling major events that has some major economic impact, which in turn has major implications and impacts as well. Here's the thing about a lot of these places that our employees are staying home and not going to work because of the coronavirus. Some of them are running to the grocery store. Some of them are going to coffee shops and working. So it's not like they're not engaging and interacting with people. So the idea behind keeping people at home is to keep them home. But if they're not staying home, well, what's the point? So I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here with a lot of the canceling, which is a very unpopular thing to say, because if anybody gets sick and blah, 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 I get that. But at the same time, you know, maybe we need to figure out a new system of, you know, maybe you got to go get screened. I, I do understand, though, and this is the real threat. It's not so much about the people dying. It's so much about whether the hospitals have the right staff. And if if it's really looked at from that angle, you can see why a lot of events are getting canceled. Because if you bring large groups of people together on a consistent basis, you got a greater threat of this. And every sneeze and cough is going to end up in the emergency room. And you're just not staffed for it. So I think that's maybe the bigger issue with a lot of this and with the cancellations and, and that sort of threat than it is about, you know, some of the just being wimps and getting into the pandemic fear and the mongering and all kinds of different things. So a lot of different angles here, but that's our featured event today is just the NCAA doing the canceling of the big power five conferences talking about, and I believe they are, are they? Well, we'll look into that uh, as far as them uh, talking about not, having fans play uh, go that's too bad by the way if that's a real case that they're not going to have fans at the game because that is a big experience like i i've been up in front of 10 15,000 people before 20,000 people and that is a rush and that is an experience that i truly wish almost anybody could you know enjoy and, and experience because it is something else and even the players you know you're a performer and to get up in front of all those players, to get up in front of those people, that's that, that. there's a sense of satisfaction there. And to have that be taken away, that part of the experience taken away would be a little bit 
not the same. It would just, it would be, I, f- I would feel really bad for him. I don't even know what words to say, but I'd feel very bad for him. It'd be beyond disappointment. You know, in business, let's say you got up and at a conference and gave a presentation, but nobody was there. But don't worry, it was being broadcast on the web. So it's a little different when you can't play off the energy of a crowd and you can't play off of the energy of people. It's just you, you give an entirely different presentation and performance. And that is the one thing, even in basketball, you know, here we're, ta- we're using the NCAA to springboard into other events for, for this conversation. But, you know, even in basketball and in football, and pe- the fans are important. You know, there's a reason they call them, you know, the sixth man, the 11th man, the 25th man, or, you know, whatever, tw- 12th man in the field. I forget what, what they are, to be honest. But it's the fan. They talk about the fan being as important as the All-Stars. And it's true. It is true. There is a huge part of the game, a huge part of a presentation, a huge part of performance where you need fans there. You need human beings physically there. It just can't be done over a, a webinar. It can't be done over a television set. And don't get me wrong. A lot of things can be. But there are some things that just can't. And that's what we're talking about here. So, all right, folks, we're going to go to our next segment here. And we're going to talk with uh, Johnny Green, the Earth's champion with the Eco Watch. Oh, boy, ladies and gentlemen, watch out. Because Honolulu files lawsuit against 10 oil and gas companies. All right, it looks like Hawaii State Capital, Honolulu, has filed lawsuit against 10 fossil fuel companies. The city is seeking monetary damages to pay for flooding and sea level rise as a result of climate change. Maui is expected to file as well. The companies named in Honolulu's lawsuit include Aloha Petroleum, BHP Group, BP, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, Marathon Petroleum, Phillips 66, Royal Dutch Shell, and Seneco. All right, folks, we got to take a real big step back here for a second. I love Hawaii. I love Maui. And it pains me to know that this is going on because in my memory, I went to Catholic school where our Catholic school books taught us about Pangea. Now, I get it. I went to a Catholic school, so maybe maybe they, they have a different deal in the school system, but I graduated high school from a public school. And then I went to a public university as well. So I feel like I'm pretty educated. I got a high school education. I got a college education. And I studied and learned about Pangea. And Pangea is actually fascinating for a lot of reasons. Widmore? Widmore? Widener. Widener. The scientist who came up with the concept and the theory and, and the idea of Pangea died, and it wasn't even accepted consensus science disagreed with the theory of pangea and therefore it was dis discounted well enough scientists could not disprove it and it was always proven right so it became accepted science and then the new consensus science i guess but it's now the accepted science and that's pretty recent that was long before fossil fuel companies came around pangea So there's something called earth changes and not to be confused with climate change. I'm talking about earth changes. So as the earth changes, 
there's something called the magnetic pole. The magnetic pole has been moving and shifting now for the last 60 years that I'm aware of pretty drastically. It was somewhere in Canada, and now I think it's past even the Arctic Circle. And if the magnetic pole is shifting, wouldn't magnetic things shift as well? Maybe in a slow form, maybe a tectonic form, maybe in a Pangea way to where things would move and things would shift. And so you're going to have some ebbs and flows of sea levels. You're going to have buildings that were once underwater, not underwater anymore. In North Dakota, where I'm from, there's this thing called Church's Ferry. And it's called Church's Ferry because that's where the ferries used to dock. Well, it's long been nowhere. Water's been not near there for a long time. Well, the last several years, the lake, Devil's Lake, has been getting bigger. It's been growing. And now Church's Ferry, they're talking about where it's coming back to where in its name, I think one town's even went underwater, like the school and everything, because the, the lake, Devil's Lake, just keeps growing. So this earth changes. And, and for me, that's what I subscribe to really is more of the earth changes theory than I do into climate change. I'm, I believe that the sun and urban land use are the two number one drivers with climate change. Because I do believe humans are, are contributing but not at a catastrophic level, not at the we got to sign away our livelihood for the next hundred years based right now on computer models that have never been proven true. So Johnny Green, the Earth's champion, boy, he drops off some good ones here. Point is, though, if counties and countries and states and things like that can sue oil and gas companies, our motto here at The Crude Life in 2020 is ready for anything. Are you? All right, coming up next, we're going to take a brief pause. No, we're not going to. We're going to go right into headlines because we want to keep things moving along. It's kind of like a Friday today, and I want to keep things moving along here. Today, headlines, let's like take a look. The first one comes from CNN.com. The oil industry doesn't want to be bailed out by Trump. The shale industry has made the United States the leading oil and gas producer on the planet and is facing its deepest crisis yet. Oil prices are in freefall, slammed by the perfect storm of shrinking demand and swelling supply. The crude crash threatens to set off cascades of bankruptcies and layoffs in an industry that is built on shaky financial ground marketed by heavy debt. Well, I, I tell you, I don't even know where to go with that, except for I'm just going to stick with this. The oil industry is going through some changes and it is going and I've said this for years. The energy industry is going to look totally different in five years. We're not, it's not going to look the same. I don't know what that means, but I know that it's not going to look the same. Because when I've got major CEOs coming on this program talking about a paradigm shift, go look up what the word paradigm shift means. They're not using that in an exaggerated way like the news pundits do. No, these are CEOs who can get sued if they say the wrong thing. When they're coming out in unison saying, we're going through a paradigm shift. That means that there's big data being implemented. Big data could completely change energy. You have remote drilling going on. You have people living in San Antonio, fracking in North Dakota. Okay, that's a thing. That is a paradigm shift. That changes things. 
Number two, you've got HR departments. I mean, just like I've said before, even the simple thing of background checks. Is this guy a felon? Just imagine how long that used to take hiring a roustabout or a truck driver who just did the last three years in Alaska. Before big data, before linked up simulation computers, et cetera, different background, uh, um, big data bases, it might've taken several months. And then by then he's a good worker, so you can't get rid of him, but he's a felon. What do you do? So just, I mean, just little cultural things like that are completely changing. Like I mentioned, you've got the whole remote drilling changing. You've got the retirees happening. So you've had a decade, the 1990s, where nobody was hired basically because of low oil prices. So you've got Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, whatever generation you want to throw in there that are hireable and really have no background with the oil and gas culture. So you have this four or five generation of mindset, some of them being exposed that fossil fuels were evil their whole life, going into the marketplace. Right now, Trump administration is talking about a bailout to shale companies. This goes against their total principle that I don't even know if these industry leaders had the okay from everybody before they came out and said, absolutely not. Mike Summers, president, CEO of API, he came out like 30 minutes after the news story and said, absolutely not. And that, that's the knee-jerk reaction of the energy industry when it comes to subsidies and it comes to bailouts. Will that be the same? I mean that. I totally mean that. Which oil company is going to be the first one to take a subsidy? Is it going to be somebody with a younger CEO? Is it going to be a private company? Is it going to be a, is it going to be a public company? In my opinion, that would be a shift. That would be a completely different shift. And that's the type of stuff I'm talking about when I, when I say that I believe the oil industry is going to look completely different in five years. I know some people have legitimate fears that if a president like Bernie Sanders were to be elected, that he would nationalize oil. I don't know if it, it could ever actually realistically be done, but it's happened in other countries. So that's what I'm talking about to where the energy industry is going through such a change and they're getting hit with so many different arrows of climate change and eco-bullying and public shaming. And all of a sudden banks say you got to have this certification and this regulation is coming in. And Colorado says you got to build soundproof walls around all your oil rigs. I mean, you turn around every time you turn around, there's a new regulation poked in, poking the big bear. And it's it, it can only take so much. So this will be interesting. That's what I see when I see these bailout stories that, you know, when you take a bailout, it changes your industry completely. It really does. In the, in, in the energy industry is really the last industry. I should say the oil and gas industry, because if we're going to include wind and solar under energy, um, we can't say bailouts because they've been getting subsidies for 30, 40 years. The energy industry is not one to get bailouts and subsidies. So, and by the way, tax breaks are not subsidies. And if they do, that's what I'm saying. That'll be a paradigm shift. I don't know what it would mean in the end, but it'll be interesting to see if any of these energy companies, oil and gas companies do get bailed out because there's real problems. And the coronavirus canceling games canceling public events, changing human 
behavior that quickly, that's going to have some kind of implication in the marketplace. I don't know what. I have absolutely no idea, no idea what it's going to be. But you can't have that amount of change and that quickly of a time without having some kind of implication in some format. So, I mean, just look at what the stock market is doing. I mean, I know people are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Think about the oil company or the oil executives who have retired and now have to retire on oil and gas stocks right now. That's, that's tragedy. I want to go to the next story. I, I, don't, I didn't like the way that one ended. Oh, good. We got a positive one here now. Exclusive Yahoo Finance. Mexico to invite oil and gas investment. No auctions for now. Mexico will soon invite private firms to invest in oil and gas projects to help a flagging economy hit by fallouts of coronavirus. Finance Minister Aruto Herrera said on Wednesday, but cautioned energy auctions were not on the cards for now. Herrera said a long-awaited energy plan will be unveiled soon that will detail where and how much private firms can invest. Well, there you go, folks. There's an opportunity right there. And that's, again, the global marketplace that we're living in. Yesterday, we talked about foreign companies coming into Lake Charles, the Bakken, the Permian, and building petrochemical plants and doing some fracking sites and that sort of thing. This is the chance for American companies to go into Mexico and figure out a way to do business. I don't know what it is, what they're really looking for here, but I'm not sure what it's like to do business in Mexico. But apparently they're, they're opening the doors for the global marketplace to come in. So anybody who's looking at new shale plays, if you're in a position to go down into Mexico, I mean, I don't know how much further down past San Antonio you got to go, but I know that Orla, Texas, and some of the other places in Texas are not too far from, from, from Mexico in terms of where some of the drilling activity is. Not all of it, but some of it. So there you go, folks, another business opportunity opening up, and you might have to stretch the dollars a little bit to figure out how to get to Mexico. I have no idea what kind of licensing would be. I don't know what it would be like coming and going across the borders every day, every week. I don't even know if temporary housing is down there, what kind of siesta time you get. I have no idea, but uh, they're inviting oil and gas investments down into Mexico. So uh, uh, there you go. Next one, Loose Lion reported in Spanish town turns out to be very big dog. <laughs> Police in the Spanish town of Molina de Surgla thought they were being called out to catch a big cat this weekend, but instead were confronted with a very big dog. According to social media posts from the station, local police received several calls about a lion sighting near the garden area of the town. And, you know, it does look like a lion, the way that the dog is shaved or the way that his hair is. But there you go. There's a great example of how the panic and the anxiety and just the sheer misunderstandings that people can have can drain the resources, can create uh, public panic can create social media panic. And social media really has fueled a lot of this stuff. I mean, it really has. I mean, within 30 seconds of posting something on, a, on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, 100,000 people can know. I mean, that's, that's real. Not all the things, but something like this with a dog, if you have, I don't know, even a couple thousand friends, followers, 
and you post something like a dog that looks like a lion that people think is a lion, oh, that's going to go viral really quick, especially around town. And then it's going to go from there. So interesting. Good, good lesson today here with the headlines. Boy, we learned a lot. I feel like I should put on a cardigan and take off my slippers all of Mr. Rogers here on The Crude Life. Well, I tell you what, folks, we're going to take a brief pause. I got to take a sip of coffee. I've been talking way too long here today. But I do want to mention that we do have sponsors here at our program because we need to keep our lights on. And we like to inform, educate, and even entertain the masses on how we keep those lights on. Well, it is with the hardworking people from Trunkline who help keep the lights on because it's not just a flick of the switch. It is the people out in the field. It is the service companies. You know, it's even the cafe owners that are feeding the men and women out there in the oil and gas communities. And you know what I'm talking about, folks. You've been to an oil and gas community and the cafe owners are just as much a part of the oil field family as the truckers and the roustabouts and the HR directors and the CEOs. In fact, the cafe owners, they know more than probably the CEOs do, to be honest. Well, Trunkline is like one of those companies because they work with everybody. They're a one-stop shop for oil field materials, equipment, and merchandise. Search, compare, and purchase products from vendors all across the industry at trunkline.com. That's trunkline.com. If you can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some booze to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. I'd like them real cool old school bar stool jams. I'm drinking line laughter and love. So if your feet ain't stomping once a band starts a rockin', brother, it ain't country. No. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Brother, it ain't country, no. If instead of using English, you use foreign words. When a competition that you didn't deserve. Some furco wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country, no. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today. I've got an email in this hand right here calling me the North Dakota Nomad. Another email in this hand, calling me the Shale Play Prophet. And this email right here, that one even sounded different, calls the crude life the voice for the voiceless. That's right. That's what this is. This is the esoteric approach to energy. And we like to attack existential anxiety with the esoteric approach to energy. We just throw out the script. It's organic right from the hip. And Provolone, I see you're signaling something there. Okay, that's the senator. Is that the Senator Kramer? Senator Kevin Kramer. No, it's his people. Okay, giving me the thumbs up there. And he's, you're giving me the moving it to tomorrow. Okay, so we're moving, moving our interview with Senator Kramer to tomorrow. Okay, the other phone is ringing now too. You should probably get that one. And that one is Zachary Ellis. He's with the commercial credit group. And we need to talk about some alternative financing with him because... Right now, the world needs alternative financing because the stock market's in the tank and banks are saying you got to have new alphabets behind your company now. 
I mean, pretty soon people are going to be LLC, ESG, EMP, and if they've got a rainbow, LCD, BLT. I mean, it's amazing how many L, I mean, and that's without any hazmat certification. You start putting that at the, at the end too, LXG, SMG, AZ fee. I mean, you can't, I, I saw a letter the other day, I swore it was an Egyptian symbol. So if I offended anybody, I apologize. I'm not trying to, I just can't keep up with all the new alphabet acronyms, LOL. I didn't even, I, until last week, I, I thought it meant laugh on loudly. That's why they call me the old man. And then they say things like, go yell at a newspaper, old man. God, no respect. No respect. No respect. See, I can, but here's the beauty of being old like me, you know, because I'm in my 40s. I can recycle things like that. No respect. No respect. And just do it a little bit different than the original. Nobody knows what it is. I can play it off as my own. Look at that. You guys, Provolone, your generation is still discovering Anchorman. I'm I'm using Rodney Dangerfield. Maybe I'll break out some Sam Kinison next week. Maybe I'll do that. All right, let's get Josh Swanson on the phone. I see he's on the line now, Provolone, so I appreciate that. Moving along here, Josh Swanson with Vogel Law. We're going to talk the Wilkinson case versus State of North Dakota. He also does a podcast and radio show as well. Uh, North Dakota State Bison, he follows a lot of the football, but with them getting in March Madness and in the tournaments and everything, i got to ask him about that as well. So uh, this is Josh Swanson. Let's get a mic level check. Provolone, if you wouldn't mind, please. Josh Swanson, Vogel Lopper. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. And I love checking in with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law because, you know, Law and Order, big show on television, CSI, you know, law shows are always number one on television and streaming. So they got to be huge on the radio and podcasting. Ain't that right, Josh Swanson? Absolutely. You know, there's no no uh, coincidence there. Law and Order, one of the longest running TV shows in history. I think it was up to 400 plus episodes in the the true crime podcast and the See? crime stuff off the news. So pe- people, people love the law and order, Jason, and that's what I'm here to provide, a little bit of law and order. So now that we've made this interview bigger than 10 Super Bowls, we should probably get right into it here. So uh, let's start off with an update on the uh, famous Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson case out in uh, western North Dakota. Start off by, you know, just a quick elevator pitch style summary of the case and then where we're at today. The state of North Dakota continues to claim that it owns all the minerals under the lake by virtue of the United States acquiring that property for Garrison Dam and the Lake Sakakawea Reservoir. As you and your listeners know, the legislature passed Senate Bill 2134 a couple sessions ago, which which created a new set of statutes in our century code, which led to the Industrial Commission issuing an order saying that the state's interests are limited to the historic river as it existed prior to the dam, which is what everybody agrees with as far as mineral owners and operators. But for whatever reason, the the state here, in its case, between the state engineer and land board, will not release its claim to the Wilkinson's minerals, despite the fact that Wilkinson's minerals are indisputably above the ordinary high water mark as determined by the industrial commission so the final set of briefs we just filed our brief with the north dakota supreme court responding to the state's appeal as you know you know visiting last fall the district court granted 
summary judgment in the mineral owners, my client's favor. The state appealed that. We're before the Supreme Court now. We filed our uh, response brief to the state's appeal last week, and the Supreme Court has set the case for an argument in April. We're just waiting on a, a specific date for argument, but it will be argued in the April term. Argued in the April term. Okay. And um, you've won the last couple, haven't you? This is like an appeal? This is an appeal, and we've won. The, the frustrating thing in the, the North Dakota Petroleum Council filed an amicus brief in our case, by and large, taking our position in the case and agreeing with us, and, and we certainly appreciate them doing that. You know, you have a case where mineral owners and operators are on the same page and united against the state's Keystone Cops approach and attempt to claim minerals they have no interest in. And it's a, a case where we won the last appeal a couple of years ago. We've won the last, well, every decision since then at the district court. The legislature has passed the statute. The governor signed it. So you've had in the last, you know, three, four years here, everybody and their mother-in-law coming out telling the state engineer and land board they don't have a claim. But for whatever reason, they persist in saying that they own these minerals. So now the, the silver lining, I suppose, is, we're at the light at the end of the tunnel back in front of the Supreme Court for a second time, and we're hopeful and optimistic that the Supreme Court will side with our position and, and finally and definitively say that the state has no interest in these private minerals. With the oil prices the way they are, um, do you foresee this being an issue? What I mean by that is, listen, Josh, 55% of the state's budget is tied to the oil uh, extraction and production tax in North Dakota. So you know as well as I do, they're going to be looking for ways to find money. And this might be one of those ways. Is that is that out of line for me to say at this juncture? The the interesting thing about that, you know, the, the state itself, the, what effectively the state wants to do, the land board wants to sue the industrial commission on this. So we'd have a lawsuit captioned state versus state. So you have the, the left hand of state government not doing what the right hand's doing. And there are some folks, and that's how I think, Jason, this whole thing started back in 2010. Someone with the land border and the attorney general's office got this bright idea that they could just take private property and make a bunch of money off it. And that's what all these memos from the land board back from the fall and summer of 2010 indicate. So I, I think, you know, that old saying, follow the money, I think there's certainly a motivating factor with some individuals that think this is a revenue source for the state. The, the other end of it, though, as the, the Petroleum Council has noted in its brief, and, and mineral owners are paying attention to it, operating and developing these minerals has a significant cost. And there's, you know, when you throw in uncertainty and, and actions that the state is doing, all of a sudden that that's a, a complicating factor with regards to developing these minerals if, if operators are not knowing who to pay and the operators themselves as far as petroleum council siding with the private mineral owners here i mean they, they're you know, my take on it is they're agreeing with our position but at the same time they're being put into a corner a little bit because they don't want to go pay private mineral owners like my clients and have the state clawing back at them trying to get money and with with any sort of business when you have that uncertainty when you're looking at the, you know 
down economic times, you know, everything between the coronavirus and what the oil markets are doing, it's not exactly a ripe environment to be investing a lot of money in developing these wells. And when you have government getting in the way, that doesn't help things at all. And that's, that's one of the more frustrating parts about this is that it's a tough time for a lot of folks in the oil and gas industry and mineral owners. The, the one thing that mineral owners and operators can agree on, they want that price to be good and they want that oil to be developed. And when the state gets in the way of that, it isn't good for anybody. Has the Petroleum Council taken a side in this? Yeah, and that that's you know that go, that goes back to the the uh, brief they actually filed in the case supporting our position. So the Petroleum Council did. I'm you know I'm glad he brought that up because I think it's a point that needs to to be emphasized. Is that they have filed a brief in support of the Wilkinson's position. They there's a, a little bit of divergence there as far as the timeline for paying it, but uh, the ultimate issue, the the key issue, the you know number one top of the fold leading off top of the hour news story the big issue is ownership of the minerals and the petroleum council agrees the state doesn't have any claim to these minerals how about the governor and the attorney general and the reason i i I basically point at those two is because they sit on the land board and they sit on the industrial commission so they have overlapping uh board meetings and have they come out on this at all, on either side? No, they, they really haven't. There's been radio silence, and, and that's one of the frustrating things on behalf of mineral owners. And, and as we note in our brief to the Supreme Court, the, the governor and attorney general both sit on the Industrial Commission that issued an order approving the study, which determined that all these minerals were above the ordinary high water mark, and the state, by virtue of that, had no claim to them. But now you have the land board on which the governor and attorney general also sit suing my or you know contesting that claim in court the lawsuit that my clients are in the land board is saying they have a claim to these minerals so the 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 issue where it's so very frustrating for a private citizen and a mineral owner like my clients you have two state boards the industrial commission and the land board and two of the, the big players, if not the biggest players on, on both of those entities, the governor and the attorney general, they're taking opposite positions on this issue. And it's further, you know, the, the whole, I hate to call it a Shakespearean tragedy or, or be, you know, too melodramatic about it. But, you know, the Sorum versus State case where you have uh, Representative Nelson and Paul Sorum, an architect out of Fargo, suing the state, challenging the constitutionality of the, the statute we've been talking about. That was just argued a few weeks ago to the Supreme Court. And in that case, the state agrees with our position. So you've got the state, and that's one of the things we'll raise with the Supreme Court, and we've argued in our briefing, is the state is taking diametrically opposed positions, one position in our case, and the exact opposite position in this Sorum litigation. So that this whole saga, the fact it's gone on for for you know going on a decade now, and the state can't figure out what the hell it wants to argue on it, and has taken conflicting positions. You know, we're looking forward to to getting in front of the Supreme Court and hoping to get some clarity. I, I think that's really one thing between you know, whether it's the Petroleum Council operators or mineral mineral owners, we need that voice for the, from the Supreme Court that's loud and clear and tells the state to knock this stuff off. Okay, two things here. Number one is I'm just writing my notes down for my former 
uh, political days when I was doing a lot more of the political news back at my, my old uh, stomping grounds. And I'm missing that, man, because what you just said, I think I wrote about six months worth of uh, talk radio down just off of the attorney general and uh, governor. And that's the, that's the second part I want to get into here, which is the Keystone Copper word you used earlier, I think, is probably a pretty good description because, I mean, I'm... This again, this is if I was a pundit, okay, if I was a political pundit, I would be all over this, Josh, because you have the governor and you have the attorney general who sit on the land board and they sit on the industrial commission and they might end up suing each other. Is that what you were telling? Is that what? I'm sorry, but I just had to make sure. Am I, am I following my notes correctly here? <laughs> yeah, that, that's it, it. It sounds absurd to say, but that is the reality of the situation. That the land board is arguing to the Supreme Court that they should be able to challenge the order issued under statute by the Industrial Commission, which means that the land board would have to sue the Industrial Commission, on which the governor and attorney general both sit. And if it sounds bonkers and you know bad, blank, crazy. It's because it absolutely is, and, and I would love for, for somebody to, to step up. The legislature tried to get it right, but it's the executive branch of government that has screwed the pooch on this and, and letting this get so sideways where they're, they're either one of two things. They're blissfully ignorant, and they just don't care, and they have their heads so far buried in the sand, or they've committed to a course of action, and they're showing poor leadership by taking this thing to a conclusion where the ultimate outcome is inescapable. The state does not and cannot, as a matter of law, own these minerals, but they continue to put private mineral owners and, and operators through this. So at, at one point, you would think there would be someone in an office in the Capitol somewhere saying, enough is enough. How did it ever get to this point? But they've doubled down and they've tripled down and they've quadrupled down and we're to the point where we're going back to the Supreme Court for a second time on this when the Supreme Court was clear in its first decision as to the takings issue, I think, in the application of the statute. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And if it sounds like there's a lot of frustration in my voice, you know, there, there is. I have clients that have lived with this for a decade. I've had clients who have died, who have died without being able to enjoy the minerals and the proceeds from the minerals that are rightfully theirs. And as much as I love making money and being a lawyer, I've got clients that are paying me to argue a same position where I know we're right. I know that the law says the state cannot take their minerals, but here we are, you know, going on a decade where the state of North Dakota refuses to drop their claim to the minerals. So you know, we're, we're looking forward to arguing this to the North Dakota Supreme Court we're looking forward to a decision from the Supreme Court, and we're looking to, we're really looking forward to some finality on it. Because at the end of the day, enough, enough is enough. Where the the outcome and the destination we've arrived at is the land board threatening or saying that they might sue the industrial commission to challenge this is is absolutely ludicrous. That is so amazing to me. Like I said, folks, you want to have some good good radio, good podcast, you bring on an attorney because what we're just listening to right here is before the garrison, when was the garrison diversion? The 60s? Was that when it was built? Was it, it was the 1960s or 50? When was that garrison diversion built? It, 
built the dam itself was built in the 50s 50s and, okay uh, 50s Pre and president eisenhower one of my favorite presidents was out uh, out there in uh, garrison or riverdale when they did the the initial dirt work back and i, I want to say it was 53 or 54 ike was out there for that and they had a big party well, and where I'm going with this is that, uh, they, so back in the, those days, it was farmland, and then they were going to build this diversion, this dam. And f the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers came in and sited that land, correct? They, they absolutely did. They and then they, they at that time, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had the minerals to your current clients, correct? They my clients and thousands of other private mineral owners in a very comprehensive and in-depth process where what you're getting at here, the listener who's listening to this right now is going to say, that really can't be the case, is it? What is the state doing? That's exactly what they're doing. And this matter had been settled for half a century. And the state was involved in that process where the, the Corps of Engineers came in and acquired all the surface and determined where the boundary of the historic river was and determine the takings line for the property they would need to take. And in fact, to, to add another layer of absurdity to this cake of, you know, the half-baked cake the state's trying to take out of the oven, back in 2016 when the state tried to redraw these lines through those Bartlett and West studies and claim all these minerals, the Department of Interior and Bureau of Land management issued a decision telling the state you know in short they were out of their minds in acting in an illegal manner trying to redraw these lines and the state still persisted even in the face of that well where i was going with this is what what it really seems to me is like what happens when an oil boom an oil bust happens because you know we had what 20 years without any real oil activity out there and during that time a new wave of politicians came in, a new wave of elected officials, a new wave of appointed leaders of, uh, of, of um, boards. Keep in mind, a lot of decisions get made by appointed people, not by elected people, by appointed people. And I, I think what happened here was they, they saw a way to make more money. They saw a way to direct more money to their projects that they wanted to do, and they didn't realize what had happened. And because of the power they have, and they, I mean, like you said, your, your clients are paying you. And a lot of them haven't even paid on these mineral rights. But these government uh, elected officials that are taking these citizens to court, they get their checks. They get paid. They get their mortgages paid, no problem. That's where I think the real problem is, is that it's almost like they're bleeding the citizens and they're bleeding, the, they're hemorrhaging them from what has already been proven and awarded to by the Supreme Court, that that's where it really bothers me is that they they know they're in the wrong, but it's like they're digging their heels in because they can. Does that am I out of line for saying that, Josh? No, I, I don't think so. And I, I think there's a uh, you know when you talk about government and, and private industry, and I don't want to be the guy bashing government because we've got hundreds of of really good public servants in our state and in our communities, but in this situation, there's been such a failure of leadership and a lacking of accountability where, you know, had this been a, a private business like my law firm or, or any other sort of organization, someone's ass would have been fired for screwing up like this. You know, you hold people accountable. They can't get away with this stuff, but at uh, state government, you're spot on that there's people appointed to these positions 
and they don't have that same sort of accountability or they haven't been held accountable. And I, and I want to read you a, 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 a quick excerpt here. And this is from a March 23rd, 2016 decision by the U.S. Department of Interior telling the state that what they were trying to claim was out of line. And I'm quoting, the core segment maps are firmly grounded in guidance, methodology, and contemporaneous field investigation of the land prior to the effects of flooding. These segment maps are the most comprehensive evidence of the ordinary high watermark prior to the artificial rising to create Lake Sakakawea. The segment maps were the basis for millions of dollars of appropriated funds being spent to acquire displaced uplands and were generated with determinations from in-the-field investigations by the BLM, involvement from the BLM, and the state of North Dakota Land Board and have gone uncontested for over 60 years. And the state still persists in light of that. So I, I think when you say, I think it's completely fair to say that there's appointed folks and whether it's advisors and even to a certain extent you know it's like that old harry truman sign on the the roosevelt desk in the oval office the buck stops here at a certain point whether it's the attorney general or governor you've got to walk into an office or go up to the people that work for you and say what the hell is going on we need to fix this and and you know when i say there's been such a failure of leadership here on all levels that's exactly what's happened it should have never ever gone to this point yet here we are getting ready to go back to the Supreme Court for a second time after private, and it's not just my clients that haven't been paid in about a decade. It's thousands of other people, people I talk to every week, whose proceeds from their minerals are being held in suspense because of the state's ludicrous claim to them. So <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong here, that this is actually, okay, this is going to have a ripple throughout these other, these other people as well. But um, so let's say that, you know, you guys, the, the Supreme Court sides with you again after this appeal. So then you've, you've won once again. And then the land department does sue the industrial commission. Well, then what? The, the, I mean, I don't understand how that could even happen. And then now I don't understand what that would accomplish because Let's say the land board sues the industrial commission that both the attorney general and the governor both sit on. And Helms is is Helms on the land board too? I don't think so, is he? No, he's, no. he's not. Because I was going to say the industrial commission's only three people, right? No. Yep, correct. Uh, the governor, the AG, and then the egg commissioner. The egg commissioner, that's it. The egg commissioner. Then, um, so that's right. The governor's not even on there. My fault. My fault on that. No, um, the governor. The governor's on the industrial commission. It'd be the uh, governor Burgum, attorney general Stengem, and then uh, commissioner Goring are the three on the. Uh, oh, that's right. Helms isn't even on that. No. That's right. He's not yeah, even on he, that. He's the executive. Yeah, he's the executive director of the oil and gas. He's he, he, he's the guy that has to do the stuff that they say. That's right. Okay, he's the he, regulator. He's got a big voice. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, okay. He, he, he certainly plays a role. Do you see how confusing this can get? And so, I, I okay. So, but either way, my point is, is that the attorney general and the governor sit on the same board here, and um, if they sue each other, well, what's that going to accomplish? I mean, besides spending a bunch of tax money, because at the end of the day, the whole idea is, is they want those minerals that the citizens have had their whole life. So, if the land board sues the Industrial Commission, I guess, I don't even know what that would solve. 
And, and here's, here's, here's the kicker to it. That's what they're arguing to the Supreme Court, that the land board should be able to sue and challenge the Industrial Commission. The land board's not going to do that. We all know that. Can, can you imagine the land board filing a lawsuit against the Industrial Commission? I, I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what... Uh, now, there's two different things. There's the land board saying they should be able to do that and saying they have that right, but at the end of the day, is the land board really going to sue the Industrial Commission? I don't think so, but that's what the land board is arguing they should be able to do. So they're arguing that this thing should be held up for something that in all likelihood will never happen because it's it's tough to, to fathom or envision that the land board is actually going to sue the Industrial Commission when you have two of its you know big-ticket members overlapping and sitting on both boards and suing themselves. Well, that's why I, it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but at the same time, just the fact that the conversation has been had or the and that's idea what arguing. that's what the land board yeah. is arguing they're, that, they're arguing they should be able to do that right and that's what i'm saying just the fact that any energy is being expelled towards that is absolutely asinine in my opinion in 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 this reporter's opinion and it's making me want to get back in the political game once again because this is a political year and boy that's like shooting fish in a barrel there i mean that's that's unbelievable to me. I thought it was absolutely hilarious when um, the Western Area Water Supply was, which is a, um, which is kind of a um, uh, political subdivision, you know. And and there's other ones like that as well. That's just the first one off the top of my head. They have a lobbyist, so it's unbelievable when you have uh, government departments that actually have lobbyists to go lobby for more government money. I thought that was bizarre, but now. When you have inner departments talking about suing each other, when more than 50% of the committee is made up by the same people, I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> and, and the, and, and, well, here's, <laughs> the interesting thing there is that the Attorney General's office is the legal counsel for both of those entities. I know. So there's, o- there's overlap with the attorneys there. So at what point does the Attorney General tell his attorneys to knock it off or take charge of this thing? So that's the, you know, it's, it's just layer upon layer of absurdity here where you get down into a, a, a legal universe where it's tough. If someone would have told me, you know, six, seven years ago when, when I got involved in this case, this is where we would be, I would say, hey, there's, there's no possible way under the law or facts you can ever end up there, and the state would never argue, argue that. But, but yet, you know, sometimes life is stranger than fiction, and here we are. This has got all the twists and turns and drama of Law and Order with the comedy of The Office. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really bad John. You know, I'm a big John Grisham fan. I read all of his books. It's, it's a really uh, kind of <laughs> really goofy Grisham plot where you got uh, different folks and, well, the same folks playing different sides of the, of the same angle and, it just gets all convoluted, and you have these plot twists. And if, if this were a Grisham book, I probably would have thrown it away after 20 pages saying this is oh, absolutely... Much crazy. kinder than me. I'm, I'm thinking of a bunch of Steve Carell's from The Office trying to run meetings. Yeah. Trying to just look no, the part. Yeah. And, yep, just saying, just trying to say the right thing, just coming out with a bunch of cliche sayings to move things along and not even understanding what the, happened in the meeting. And actually, I think there's yeah. more. I think there's more evidence for what I just said than what the actual reality is i mean that's yeah i mean i i just don't get it but all right so let's transition gears here a little bit um obviously you've seen the news when it comes to 
the stock market, the oil prices, the coronavirus, all the different things that are happening that is creating some problems with the economy. And, um, you know, it, we, it's not a good time for that. But one of the things that does open up is, you know, some people need some contract help. They need some help collecting bills. They need some help, you know, from that sort of thing. Uh, do you guys, Josh, do you do that? I know you ha you do minerals and, and that sort of thing, and you guys do have a pretty big law firm, so I'm sure you can refer it out if you don't do it. But uh, are you guys getting any calls on that? I'm sure you are when it comes to people that are needing help deciphering how to get some bills paid and what does this contract mean that was signed, you know? Yeah, and that's, I think that's, you know, we saw it happen a couple of years ago, and, and Vogel does offer those services, the contract business disputes, collection issues breach of contract we you know we're a full service firm with over 50 attorneys so we've got that covered and and i'm involved in that stuff and that's that's one of the realities when there's a downturn in the market you know cash cash and ends up um folks having concerns about whether or not bills are going to get paid before people fold or take off and hightail it out of here so when, when times are good and everyone's sitting in a pretty good cash position. If you've got, you know, 200 or 300 K in, in accounts, you need to collect from someone who did some work for you or, or whatever, it, it might slide for a while. But then when, when the price of oil starts to drop and there's the, the dark clouds looming on the horizon for the economy, then folks tend to um, need representation on that. So that's, that's something we're familiar with, something we work in. And if there's, listeners out there that are needing representation they're welcome to give us a call on that but that's one of the realities with you know any sort of not just oil but any sort of market where you have a more boom bust commodity where it's up and down and there's fluctuations there's different work on the front end of it there's different work during you know peak development or the last you know probably 18 to 24 months where things were pretty stable and then when you get to uh, a trough in the market where things bottom out a little bit. It's a, a different kind of work that needs to, to be done from a business perspective on that. Well, and I talked to a guy earlier in the finance world because, you know, he does some non-traditional independent type loans because the banks are tightening up right now. You know, they're, they're actually making energy companies go back and get a new certification. And at a time when slow pay is a real problem, and when stocks are down, you know, there's a need for some alternative financing, just like, you know, what we said for about you with some of the contract disputes, the breach of contracts, that's a real thing. And that's one of the things that happens during, you know, the ebbs and flows of the market. I remember talking to Kevin Pfeiffer at uh, Pfeiffer Auction when the uh, first downturn came in the Bakken. And he actually, he felt bad because a lot of companies that he sold property to five years later he was selling it away from him because you know they lost it or they needed to sell it you know and so he was making money during the good times and the bad times and it dawned on him you know that even during the bad times when he was making money it, he still felt bad about it but it's still there and um yeah no one and no one certainly wants to all of us whether it's you know you me anyone in the game we'd much rather see the the market on the other side of it and things going well because that's that's better for the economy writ large uh you know folks are spending money they're hiring there's job creation and folks aren't getting laid off or, or fired and and we saw you know the the downside of it a few years ago when things bottomed out all the 
job loss, and, and that's something that nobody wants, but that's, that's a reality where when you talk about the, the alternative financing and banks tightening up, and, and that's it's one of those things about the economy. You know, we saw it with the markets earlier this week. Panic is the, the worst thing that could happen. Then you have a sell-off and folks start getting anxious, and then that, that lack of confidence can have such a disastrous effect and on the market and I, and I don't need to tell you that but you know I, I think that the concern here and I've heard folks you know we t- mentioned Lynn Helms earlier I've seen him out there talking about it and, and I've seen other individuals in the, the industry out there um, you know people are paying attention and everyone's hoping for the the best but you know there's an element of you have to prepare for for every contingencies and hopefully the Saudis and the Russians will get things figured out but you know, I, I would say, the, you know, where we're sitting right now, it has an impact on our business because it impacts our clients, and, and we care about our clients, and we'd rather see the market doing a lot better than it is because it, it certainly has an impact on communities from Williston to Dickinson to Crosby, Watford City, Bismarck, and all the way to Fargo where, you know, I'm talking to you from my outlaw office, and it impacts what I'm doing. Now, you're stationed in North Dakota, so you do a lot of work primarily with the Bakken and mineral owners and, and oil and gas companies with the Bakken, but you've got clients all over the country, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, you know, in fact, the, the majority of clients that I have, you know, there's a lot of them that I don't meet face-to-face or person-to-person. It's all over the phone, and they're located not just all over the country, but all over the world. And, and of course, I've got clients, a lot of farmers and ranchers and even energy companies and service providers in North Dakota. But that's, that's one of the things with, with this uh, commodity, the oil and gas industry, there's folks from all over that, that have an interest in it. And, and they're amongst my clients. I'm glad to represent them. I'm, I'm looking at one of my office shelves and I get, you know, Christmas cards and graduation cards and thank you cards. And I just kind of stack them up on my shelves and they're from all corners of the country. All right, just before we uh, let you go, I need to find out what's going on in the world of podcasting because, folks, not only is he an attorney, but he's also a podcaster. He does the North Dakota State podcast, the NDSU Bison podcast, if you will, primarily football, but I know that uh, you also get into the basketball world, and I think the Bison are um, in the finals for the summit league championship as we're speaking right now at least i saw they won the other night in sioux falls and um are you still doing the podcast yeah yeah we uh we're still doing it and in fact the uh the bison beat the university of north dakota 89 to 53 laid a 36 point beat down on und to win the summit league championship to punch their ticket to March Madness, so Dave Richmond and, and the boys will be back playing in the NCAA tournament. They'll find out here on Selection Sunday coming up in a few days who they'll play. But, yeah, the Bison are back in the NCAA tournament, and, and I still got, uh, you know, you talk about podcasting, I'm still doing the weekly radio show, The Herded Here with Swanee on uh, KFGO Sister Station, 740 AM, The Fan. And we're, we're tentatively, you know, I just talked to one of the guys from the station this morning. We're, we're planning... Uh, potential road trips coverage options to follow the bison and broadcast from wherever they're playing from but the uh coronavirus issue and the ncaa how they're going to handle that at different locations will play a role but yeah we're still doing that and we're still having a really good time covering the bison and then what can you say about you know dave richmond squad they 
25 and 8 in the regular season going back to the NCAA tournament. Just such a remarkable job by him. I didn't even realize the University of North Dakota was in the Summit League for basketball. I didn't. I didn't even know that. Um, I, I knew they were. Yeah, in... they just they just jumped from the Big Sky a couple of years ago. I think okay. Their second full second full year here in the Summit. Yeah. So look at that, my alma mater, NDSU. They're going to be playing in the uh, North uh, the March Madness tournament, and uh, are they expected to get you know a 12 seed or a 15 seed, or are they looking at maybe as much as a 10? I don't know. I mean, my guess is they'd probably be a 14 or 15. Yeah, if if, you, if I had to put money on it, I'd say they they probably end up on that fourteen line, especially with how they ended the regular season. They're they're something like twelve and one in their last thirteen games oh. going back to January. Yeah, they've had had a, had a really good stretch. They beat East Tennessee State, who is one of the better teams in mid major basketball. Mid East Tennessee beat LSU earlier this year. The Bison beat East Tennessee. So with the 36-point win in a conference championship game, the, the fact that that was nationally broadcast, and you've got guys, anytime you can put up 89 points and have guys, you know, it's not just one guy carrying the load for NDSU. I think that's what makes them so dangerous. you got Vinny Shahid and Tyson Ward that could play at most Power 5 schools. But then you've got guys like a Jared Samuelson and a Rocky Cruiser and Cam Hunter and, and Sam Greasel who can come off and knock down big shots from you and score when your main guys aren't scoring. And, and you need that to, to put up 89 points like the Bison did. But what makes them really dangerous, Jason, is they can play lockdown defense. That's the bread and butter of a Dave Richmond team. They are so fundamentally sound on the defensive end that if they can get, if they can avoid that 15 line, if they can get up to the 14 line or even the 13 line, they got a chance to, to win some games in March Madness, and, and you know, folks might call me crazy. They've got the potential, the way they can shoot the ball from the perimeter, the way Tyson Ward and Vinny Shahid can get to the rim and get to the free throw line, the way they convert on those free throws, and the way they play defense. This team, if they knock down shots, they can hang with anybody, and we've seen it in March. We've seen 10 seeds and 11 seeds make it to the Sweet 16 and even the Elite Eight, so Stay tuned because the buys in this team, this team's got the parts where they could put together a run here in the next few weeks. I'm going to predict a 13 seed for them based on the just what you mentioned, their streak they're on. I think the tournament is going to, the selection committee is going to take that into consideration because they love the upsets. They love the, the 10 to 13 uh, upsets. Those, those ones are great because they'll make it to the Sweet 16. And you know as well as I do, at the end of the day, it's, two of the number ones in the final four and usually a three and a two uh every now and then a four or five gets in there but generally it's the top three ranked you know teams in each division one of them get in there and uh but it's fun i mean every team's got a shot i mean i've valaparezo man homer drew back when i was a kid that's what i remember making shots making it the sweet 16 and Jim uh, uh, Valvano with uh, North Carolina North Carolina State looking for someone to hug and yeah Look at yep. who who's who can I hug and no one will hug me. He's just looking for someone. It's great, but well, all right, man. We better um. Yama in Houston. Oh yeah. We better uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want some uh, legal help on the uh, mineral side or the debt servicing and the contract disputes, if you will. And then we'll talk about uh, where they can get your podcast too. So on the legal side, where can they find you? They can find us at vogellaw.com. That's V-O-G-E-L, law, L-A-W.com. They can also 
give us a call at 701-237-6983. That's 701-237-6983, and we'll get them, uh, whatever their need is, we'll get them to the right person. And the podcast is available how? It's on the radio and online, is that correct? Yeah, radio and online on Apple iTunes. Search Buys an Illustrated Podcast. You can also find us on Google Play and SoundCloud or check out buysonillustrated.com. And for the uh, radio show on the terrestrial radio, heard it here with Swanee every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. on 740 a.m. The Fan, 107.3 FM, and they can listen online at 740thefan.com. To listen to the full-length interview, Visit thecrudelife.com. But now I'm back at the bar again, hanging out with all my rowdy friends, getting drunk and singing redneck songs. I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long. Pour me a beer and a shot of jam. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Whiskey glass. Hanging out with friends and having a blast. My mom and dad think it's a waste of time. Not anymore. Drinking beer and riding redneck rhymes. I think I'll do it just as long as I can. That's why I'm back at the bar again. And that's going to do it for the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us here. Also, I would like to thank Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm for coming on today's program. Also, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, coming on in just a moment or two with our daily radio update here on the podcast. And also our headlines, the links are available at thecrudelife.com. Mexico inviting oil and gas investment. Also, the oil industry doesn't want to be bailed out. And the loose lion reported around Spanish town turns out to be a very big dog. Our sponsor for today, Trunkline. Trunkline is a one-stop shop for oil field materials, equipment, and merchandise. Search, compare, and purchase products from vendors all across the industry at trunkline.com. Of course, all of the links are available at the Crude Life's podcast show page. And if you'd like to be a sponsor, feel free to email jason at thecrudelife.com. Our featured event today is just talking mostly about the coronavirus, but it's springboarded off of the 2020 NCAA tournament games to be played without fans in attendance due to the threat of coronavirus. That link is available if you'd like to know more about that. Of course, this is a dynamic story involving the coronavirus, so it could get worse and it could get lifted as well. Also, Johnny Green, the Earth's champion, stopped by for an eco watch to let us know about Honolulu filing a lawsuit against 10 oil and gas companies due to climate change. So be ready, folks. If Islands and cities and counties and all kinds of different things are are starting to sue oil and gas companies due to climate change. That's something you should probably pay attention to. That's that's amazing to me that if if they can do that. I know you can sue for anything, but it might be time to ask, well, maybe we should take a look at the attorney and maybe we should question whether they should be held accountable for taking on something like that. I'd like to thank Blind Joe, our music crossover, the Crude Life music crossover, for coming on today and being part of our program. And thank you very much, folks. If you'd like to link out to Blind Joe's music and download it, feel free 
can check him out. He really is blind, and he's been on NBC's The Voice. He made it, I believe, to the top eight. And he's a, he's a great old soul country music singer. He likes the rowdiness. He likes to have some fun. And uh, he's the real deal, folks. He's the real deal. Hatch Coaching, our studio sponsor, Bakken Barbecue, our phone line sponsor. Thank you very much. And once again, folks, if you'd like to contact the show, email jason at thecrudelife.com. Or, of course, you can go onto our social media pages on our crudelife.com. Click on the social media tab and be part of the YouTubes, the Facebooks, the Twitters, even the, uh, what else do we have on there? The LinkedIn's. There you go. We've got all kinds of social media pages. Check them out, folks. 300,000 followers I think we have combined if you add them up right around there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Hope you folks have a great weekend, a weekend review tomorrow here on The Crude Life and thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for me, folks. William Prentice coming up in just a moment or two, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. Provolone, great work today. Sorry, it was such a busy day today. I know it's got a million things going on, so I do apologize. Monday, we'll be back with Zach Ellis with a commercial credit and uh, Senator Kevin Kramer as well. From the staff here at The Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is The Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, in just a minute, part of our exclusive interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Well, let's face it, the energy industry has gotten very shy about public opinion, so the tendency has been to kind of hunker down and, and become more secretive in many situations. I mean, you see this happening, for instance, uh, I'm not pointing any fingers or giving any specific examples, but you know, pipeline spills. Uh, SOP used to be, don't tell anybody, get it under control, try to fix it before anybody, you know, sends up a red flag or a flare, and get it under control on your own. Um, and that just doesn't work, um, especially this day and age. Uh, it's an invitation to a lawsuit. Uh, you're just going to bleed your company dry uh, trying to defend that kind of practices. So, you know, we we decided early on that, uh, okay, uh, we know just by looking around us that as soon as we get a permit in hand, somebody's going to trot down to the courthouse and file a lawsuit. Um, you know it's going to happen. So how are you going to defend that lawsuit before it's ever filed? And that's the way that we have tried to comport ourselves in terms of uh, of doing everything associated with Davis in a manner that can withstand that close scrutiny. Um, you know, when we were sued on the the basis of the air quality permit, for instance, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna probably get in trouble mentioning a, a number, but it seems to me that somebody mentioned that we provided over 200,000 pages of documentation during discovery on that lawsuit. And that's just a measure of the preparation that we went through along with air quality folks. To make sure that we were doing the right thing um, and you just have to do that um, you know we have seen projects in the past that didn't have to go through that and I think uh, they were lucky um, but you can't count on that anymore you just have to go ahead and do things right in an entirely defensible manner 
And if something's going wrong, you got to be totally open about it. People have a right to know if there's an issue with a major energy project, either in the way it's being designed or in the way it's being operated. To listen to the full-length interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, reminding you that it's more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Here we go. Hamburger steaks, holiday ends. That's the kind of world that I live in. I play a different town most every night. Love on my woman, write a new song. That's my life. Well, that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all along picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. I got a big bus with a TV and a bar. And a little room in the back for me and my old guitar I gotta stop and fuel up every 500 miles Give a picture to the waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style Cause that's my life, yes y'all and I love it That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it You're gonna make it You gotta live it We get home from Nashville On a Monday night Record songs on Tuesday And on Wednesday we take out the wife But then on Thursday night It's back on the road I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. Well, that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone, picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it, you're gonna make it. You gotta live it Yeah, brother, you can't fake it You're gonna make it You gotta live it It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you, 
There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. 